Hello and welcome to Let Me Introduce You, the food business podcast where I introduce you to the most amazing producers, entrepreneurs and consultants that work with me to build stronger, healthier, better versions of their businesses. I've been building teams to work with food businesses for over 25 years and now we're taking you behind the scenes in my business to meet them. So let me introduce you to Simon Waring, the founder and MD of Green Seed UK. He's an international specialist in strategy and market entry with a lot of food and drink expertise. He and I have known each other for a long time and I love when an opportunity to collaborate shows up in one of our businesses. He's also an invaluable sounding board for things I'm considering and I love getting together to talk things through with him. I know you're going to enjoy hearing what he has to share. How would you describe your job to people that don't know what you do? Ah, good question. Well, it's um best best job in the world, really, or it, it is when we don't have a pandemic anyway. So obviously it's working in in food, which is probably the best industry to work in. And uh, it's been, for most of my career, quite international as well. So it's involved a lot of travel, uh, mostly in Europe, but also North America and Asia. So in that sense, it's always lived up to what I hoped I'd have was was some form of an international career. I never knew I'd work in food in itself. And I suppose what it really entails is is trying to help um, food businesses really understand what makes them unique and and how to to build their business both in the UK but also internationally and all, all the various different steps they go through. Some some of them are better prepared than others. Some of them perhaps should only be focused on on dealing with customers in their own market and, and aren't necessarily ready to, to go uh, into other markets. But all of them have something and it's, it's helping them to unlock their potential and I guess piecing all those parts of the jigsaw together um, to help them achieve success. And we do that through our own team and through through the partners that we work with. Brilliant. That sounds really good and interesting. How would friends and family describe what you do? Um, well, I, I have heard one of your other podcasts, Jane, and um, and and that was Andy that we both know, mm. and, and he said they they described me as swanning around with a glass of champagne in my hand. So um, <laughs> pro- probably uh, probably less champagne during during the working day than um, um, than Andy Hardy has, um, but certainly my. My kids think it's it's great that I just seem to receive free food and and when there's nice ice creams or chocolates packing the cupboards, you know you, you become very popular overnight. They used to think I uh, I spent most of my time in places like Japan and you know obviously you had to mm. bring back presents, not necessarily food, but more like Nintendo games or whatever would have happened to be the craze at that particular time. Um, I think people who 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 aren't my kids um who are working in different spheres i guess a lot of my contemporaries are you know they're lawyers or they're bankers or they run their own business they probably don't know much about food because it's a bit um unless you're in the food business i think people think it's a bit a little bit niche it doesn't really count it's not it's not big and important like like pharmaceuticals or like um i don't know management consultancy or something like that so um so they're probably a little bit curious and um they just want to know the brands that you work with and whether they've heard of them and you know and actually people do engage when you're talking about food so you know the one thing we all like yeah. doing is talking and and everybody knows something about food you know from yeah. that point of view don't they so at least 
Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a bit more relatable to use that word that everyone uses nowadays, yeah. Yes, yeah, I, I think that's probably true. You, you say it wasn't necessary, you didn't necessarily think that you would go into food. When, you know, what shaped what you did? How did you, what, while you were still at school, what were you thinking and... Yeah, when I was at school, my first um, Saturday job was actually working at Sainsbury's as a shelf stacker and and on the tills as well. It was 84p an hour. And I remember being jealous because I knew that if you were, I think if you were 17, you got £1.4p an hour, but I was only 16. So we got 84p an hour in, in Sainsbury's in, in Calvary Road, Tunbridge Wells. So that particular experience didn't actually make me yearn to work in the food industry, actually, funny enough. Funny um, enough. So when I, when I was at school, I was thinking, uh, well, la- languages was my real area of sort of strength. So I definitely thought I'd do something international. I thought maybe maybe I should be uh, a diplomat or a journalist or something like that because I enjoyed writing. Neither of those things came, came true. And then I studied um, languages at university. I, I went to live abroad before university and, and during university as well. So I, I always felt I was going to do something European. And my first sort of proper business role was with Mintel, the market analyst, which was actually a very small sort of cottage industry type company at the time. So it's great for getting your hands dirty, stuffing envelopes with mail shots, selling research reports on all sorts of different things. Yeah, and um, part of that was... Um, you know, FMCG and, and food in particular. It was also um, dealing with personal finance and leisure and retail. And I guess the retail and the food and the FMCG bit was where it was where I was m- most interested. And then I got into contact with lots of different food companies through working for that. So you get interested in the whole, you know, idea of marketing and branding and food production and what makes consumers tick, I guess. So I suppose... That led me into food, and then then I, uh, I was approached about a job with a with an organisation called British Food Export Council to to be a marketing manager for them. So so that got me connected with yep. with um, the food export um, sort of industry, and and from there went into to food from Britain, where I was international MD. So then I was very much working in food, working with lots of different food companies food companies that were based in the UK, but also obviously were expanding internationally. And um, so that's what got me into food. And I suppose in, in the background, I've always been, you know, really interested in food and and the drink that goes with it. So, um, you know, I felt very much at home. No, that's good. Are there people that you've met either in in, in business yourself or or people that you know about because of the the area that you're in that you say you would say have shaped what you do or don't do I mean so they can be positive or negative that you can think I never want to be like that or yeah I guess I guess a big influence surely when I joined Food from Britain was the then chairman who was Sir Paul Judge who 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 set up you know obviously he was a he was a a very successful food industry entrepreneur. He, he he did the management buyout of Premier Brands from Cadbury when he was aged only 38. Um, one of the biggest sort of food industry deals in history at that time. You know, incredibly bright, analytical guy, very inspiring guy. And um, he then set up um, his own 
Institute at Cambridge, so the, the Judge Institute at Cambridge. So he was very into education, which is something else I'm, I'm also very interested in. So he he definitely made me see that the food industry was actually uh, could be a really highly professional and inspiring place to to work. And um, you know, he had a big impact on me, and he was he was happy to give me a lot of responsibility when I was still you know, pretty young, um, in my twenties, certainly he, he, he shaped things, uh, I think, I think for me. And, um, I found, I think in general in, in the food industry, it's, it, it's a pretty warm place to work. It's, um, you know, people are in general, pretty collaborative. So whether you're, you know, whether you're at a, at a, at a trade exhibition, whether you're, whether you're on, on a, on a steering group for an industry body or for, um, exhibition organizer or something like that people do like to share ideas and, and also you know across the different markets as as well so um you know i've enjoyed collaborating with you know the the the, the if you like the competitor organizations to food from britain um in the past and we, we all used to get together once every six months to exchange ideas and so on and and that, that was a great joy of, of working in that sphere yeah uh, that, that all makes sense it's great too isn't it that Early in your career, you met somebody who was so good and and encouraged you so much. And, you know, that that's such a, a positive thing early on, yeah. really, to get that. Because if, you, if you'd had the opposite, I think it obviously could have had absolutely the opposite effect on you. Yeah. Um, who, when you look around our industry now, in retail, overseas, in the UK, who do you admire well, um, I admire people who do things differently or take on something new for the first time. So, you know, as a business, I'm quite fascinated by Acardo, for example, and, and, and the way they've developed, not only at the outset when everyone thought, to be honest, they were a bit of a joke. And, you know, I remember Tesco dis- dismissing them. And then it was only, I think it was back in September when Ocado's share price peaked and it was actually had a market capitalization bigger than bigger than Tesco. Um, so they had the courage of their convictions. They were laughed at by a lot of analysts and a lot of industry commentators. But they're they're really doing something different and then they're and they're taking it international now. I suppose one of the things about the the whole COVID crisis as well is that despite all the all the, all the pain and 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 the difficulties and the shutdown of food service, there is a source of underlying, you know, excitement factor in the, in that things are always going to be different from now on so i think i'm always yeah. someone who you know gets excited by trying to change things or, or respond uh, you know ha- having a challenge thrown at you and seeing you know whether you can deal with it or not i sort of prefer that to to trying to sort of strive to achieve the status quo again so you know i, I don't know what 2021 is going to bring or 2022 but um There'll be a few shocks and surprises. Some of them may be hard to deal with, but hopefully some of them will be some quite interesting ones as well. I don't know. No, I mean, I think I think you, that's very true. And I think in many ways within this sector, COVID has accelerated things and people are accepting things differently. People are also very keen to be more sustainable going forward, which affects everything from how a food is produced, its packaging, to how much we will all travel physically to help people do things and how much more can possibly be done online. And again, then that makes it very much more affordable sometimes for people in other countries to access support and things. So 
I think, you know, I, I've used Zoom for a couple of years and when we were using it a few years ago to run webinars and things, you always had to ask people if they knew about it, how it worked. And do you have any of those conversations now? You're just straight into it. So. You still have to tell people to turn themselves off mute, though, quite, quite often. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> there are there is still yeah. that, isn't there? You you just spoke there about how you're happier when you're kind of under pressure a little bit, mm. and and when things are changing and you have to do things differently. People often talk about how you have to step outside your comfort zone in order to be successful or to grow yourself and things. Are there things now that you do that you would never have imagined you would be involved in? And what are they? I, I suppose it's it's more to do with running your own business rather than being part of a sort of corporate structure. It took me a long time to, to realise that actually I, I don't really like working in a, in a, in a, in a in a tight corporate environment i think i'm an awful person to manage um and i i don't really like being told what to do by anybody and would always rather do my own thing but 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 put up with that environment probably for too long until i started to do things my my own way and i suppose the one thing you learn when you're running your own business is that it is completely unpredictable um the one good thing about experience uh, in doing it is that you will find a way and, and things will crop up. So there are, there are always, you know, peaks and troughs. But even during the troughs, you, you know from experience that actually some good news is around the corner and, and maybe some of the contacts that you made 18 months, two years ago, um, you know, if they've got a positive impression of you, they, they might well come back. But it could take, you know, a year and a half or two years for them to do so rather than expecting something from two weeks ago to happen. So... I think it's 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 more about having the courage of your convictions to you know to trust your own instincts and you know versatility to a certain extent to to get on and do things and that's why I think when when things are unpredictable you you got to have confidence that you will think of um the right solutions sometimes and you're more comfortable with it too yeah. you know it's not a huge disruption for you or I mean I I I found it hard to remember initially last year when they were talking about people getting used to working from home mm. because that's something that there's always been an element of mm. for both of us that if you weren't traveling and you weren't going into the office you would be working from home and and it, it amazed me how many people still weren't because I think when you do do something you assume everybody does it yeah. as well yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely if you look at, if there is one thing that you've learned about yourself now, you say, for instance, you stayed a long time, you know, working with other people now realise that you, you may have been more comfortable doing that in the beginning. Was that something that if you look back now, possibly you would even have seen suggestions of that when you were at school and right the way through? Has that, or, or has that just come later I, I guess you know every everyone likes a bit bit of an adventure within within certain within certain bounds and when you're when you're younger you haven't got you know a mortgage or a family or whatever around you so when I was I, I left school at 17 and and took a year out between uh, school and, and university and I went to to Paris then on the basis that now I was going to be studying French and I wanted to improve my French and 
I had about a week's worth of accommodation with a with a friend of my uncle's set up in Paris. And after that, it was you know down to you to find a job, find somewhere to stay. And I went over with a friend, and just sort of managing to, you know, we managed to blag our way to getting a job with um, with Habitat that had just set up its its first um, stores in, in in the Paris area by contacting the manager and and, and lying basically that that one of the directors of Habitat in the UK, um, whose name we saw in the paper, had advised us to contact Monsieur Dupont or whatever his name was, and that he, he could probably offer us a job. So he felt that he needed to offer us a job, so he gave us a job. It was only supposed to be for a month with a week's probation period. And in fact, after a month, they 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 said, um, you know, actually, that's the end of your probation period. And we said, well, actually, no, the probation period on our contract says it was it was a week and um, you're now giving us six months employment. So he, we felt we'd sort of forced our way in. But, you know, he he let us stay and and, you know, we enjoyed it and made great friendships and, and had a great time living in Paris, although we couldn't really afford to really enjoy it the way <laughs> you, you might be able to nowadays. But um, so so I guess just. um not knowing quite where you're heading for is is something which always appeals um, to me and probably, I guess, anyone working in the food industry. <laughs> we certainly don't know yeah. where we're heading in many respects right now. No. If you were looking back at your younger self now, is there anything that you wish you'd picked up on sooner? Or I think, I think um, when you're younger, you're always, you're, you're trying to absorb everything like a sponge and... You're spending a lot of time trying to uh, to do what your, you know, what you think your bosses want you to do, or behave in a, in a way that you see others behaving, and and I guess possibly all the office politics that go with that. I think after a while you realise that a lot of that's a lot of that's wasted energy. Certainly the office politicking side of it is, and you know sometimes you've probably got more to offer. It's not just those who who you know who happen to be 10 years or 20 years older than you working in the same business and you should you should you know put your foot forward and, and show it more way where you are actually working or or go and do it yourself somewhere outside somewhere yeah. else good that's very that's very good advice too um this is probably well, this is maybe not a harder one but it certainly will will make you think about things differently than you might have if I'd asked you this a year mm. ago what is the best thing that you've eaten recently? Yeah, good question. So it may be at home or it may be pre-tier, pre-the tier we're in. Probably the best meal out when we could still have a meal out in. And in Essex, we were sort of, we had food service open just pre-Christmas anyway for a while. Mm. Was at a place called the Mersey Oyster Bar, which is about 40 minutes away from from where we live and it's a little little island um not far from colchester on the estuary where they produce you know colchester oysters essentially and there is a little oyster bar it used to be a little a little shack really with a couple of outside tables and is now turned into a very sort of popular destination and we just had we had some oysters in and um a lobster salad and a glass of white wine on on a very frosty sort of sunny day whether it's November, December, I can't remember. It's all a bit of a blur. Um, <laughs> nothing, nothing fancy, but just really good, really good fresh food, and um, that was great. And then at home um, at New Year, we again had something pretty simple. We decided, you know, obviously you can't go skiing or anything like that, which we 
every now and then try and do. So we thought, how can we replicate the experience? So we bought a, a raclette um, on Facebook market for 20 quid. We couldn't get one <laughs> anywhere else and just cooked on, on the sort of stone base, just simple vegetables, you know, seared steak and potatoes and onions and so on. And yeah, it was a great way to spend New Year's Eve with the family. So I guess those are the two most recent ones, one one in, one out. <laughs> One in and one out. Well, that's very, that's good, isn't it? And I think food that you can get in, the, the the choices that you can get now have changed immeasurably. And you see now, you know, a lot more success in meal kit boxes and things too, because, and, and scratch cooking. And I, I'm, I'm reading that ready meal sales have dropped quite a lot yeah, because have. people have more time to cook at home and can do the prep during the day while they're at home and, and and get meals ready and things. So it's interesting how how that will affect the the whole market, isn't it, going forward? Absolutely. And and if you th- think about ready meals, it used to be the sort of cliche that that was the sort of you know almost a light motif of of the British British food industry. How great we are at ready meals, and we've been doing them since you know chilled ready meals since the eighties and Marks and Spencers and all of that. And Lots of the international bars we're speaking to always used to think, wow, you know, it's fantastic what you can produce now. But but you're not really a food culture, you know, in terms of, you know, food preparation and eating. You prefer you prefer convenience. You may be clever at it, but um, it's all about ready meals. Whereas actually that does seem to be going through a fundamental shift right now. I think you're right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And And so there is a bigger market for ingredients, for ingredients straight to your door, for knowing where things have come from. You know, and I also think that the money that people would have spent on weekends away and things is being spent upgrading food. Obviously, in some instances, there are other instances of people having a very tough time Absolutely. and they're probably not in the, in the same situation. Yeah, but. totally right. Yeah, we're trying. So you need some novelty. You need some some variety in your life. So one way of trying to achieve that is through food and, you know, having more exotic food as well is is a sort of um albeit feeble but it, it it's a way of replacing that foreign travel that um Substitute that, that none of us can travel. do anymore or at least yeah not for the last year or so no i think that's true i've i've heard two different clients talking recently about the fact that they've got family at home now that are normally away and um, that they're they've all organised come dine with me, yeah. and they've had some very competitive at home eating and things, which is quite funny too, isn't it? But I think it's that thing, isn't it? It's just trying to make a difference between your weeks and your weekends. Yes, yeah. and- no, uh, there's a bit of that in our house as well. So when it's your turn, you feel the sort of weight of responsibility on your shoulders. It's got to be good, and you can't make excuses that there's nothing left in the fridge or. And, you know, they're expecting something good. So it's quite a healthy sort of competitive situation, I suppose. (laughs) That's quite good, isn't it? That's good. If somebody was starting a business and going to do something like you do, what would you say were the fundamental things you would recommend they did right at the beginning? I think I think probably take your time first. So, you know, talk talk to lots of people, um, network a lot, just find out what it is what people's concerns are on the various different sides of the fence that you're working. So you might be in food production or food exporting or, or, or on the retailing side, but you need to understand what everybody thinks. So I think, you know, I guess the first thing is, is, is to take your time. So 
certainly one that's one thing with um with food exporting for example i think a lot of people get get sucked into it too early um they 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 don't take the time to build stronger foundations in their existing food business first and exhaust their home market before they look and that's right it's very tempting to see oh it's it's a new revenue source and um you know it's all about acquiring cash and it's very exciting if people start saying can you send me some samples to you know to all these far-flung destinations and but then it becomes often a sort of just almost like an acquisition of distributors rather than yeah. you know you actually taking charge of your own your own strategy whereas actually if you build something slowly but surely in your home market in the UK or wherever it may be and then and then you've got far better credentials you've got a bit more experience under your belt you know what works well in terms of flavors maybe and and, and other things then you've got a stronger message to start talking to to other customers whether they be bigger ones at home or or international ones and and then you can grow your business so i think just you know i think i think you can take your time and um just explore things a little bit before you before you dive in and um think everything's got to be done in in no time good that's good advice a final question for you if you could sum yourself up in three words what would those three be they don't need to connect with each other they can okay. just be... um <laughs> i was going to say hungry but <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it, is, okay. it is lunchtime that's good yeah. so I'm, I'm always hungry that's true so maybe that is one mm-hmm. of them um definitely curious i like to just experiment with new things yep. i like to learn new things all the time i suppose international would be a bit of a watchword because i'm always um yep. you know thinking you're, about you're very interested in in all those markets yeah and yeah. you know it's great to travel it's great to you know i'll, I'll send myself over to to the Expo West show on in, in California just, just to see what trends mm. are coming. Yes, it's partly about, you know, new business, but it's also just for your own education and, and, and that sort yeah. of thing. And I suppose another one, hopefully hopefully I'm able to, you know, to share good insight with, with people. Hopefully, you know, people would think that in terms of insight. giving advice yeah. just f- from what you've learned over the years and your instincts, you know. Good. That's brilliant. Thank you very much for doing this with us. I think that's been really interesting. It's been a lot of fun as ever, Jane. And good, good to hear some different things. Thank you for listening to Let Me Introduce You, the Food Business Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you pick up your podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let me know what you enjoyed or connect to me at Jane Milton Food on Instagram or at Food Networking on Twitter. And if you found this helpful, we'd love you to tell other food businesses about it too. See you next time.